Welcome to another episode of the Innovation Spotlight podcast. My name is Jakub Marcin and I am in charge of marketing and uplifting an international software studio specializing in building innovative and meaningful products. In this podcast, we interview our experts and guests who talk not only about their successes, but also their failures. Give us a follow and don't miss out on any episode of our podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Innovation Spotlight podcast. My name is Jakub and I'm here with Nikolai, our head of Uplifting Enterprise. Hi. Hello guys, hello. Uh, Nick, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, as uh, Jakub was mentioning, I'm responsible for the Uplifting Enterprise here in Uplifting, obviously. Uh, Uplifting Enterprise is a tribe specialized in uh, high complexity development and architecture. Uh, we're usually working with uh, larger customers like uh, banks, insurance companies, and medtechs, uh, developing highly scalable solutions. But we're quite often involved in helping uh, new scale-ups to transition from the startup infrastructure to more robust solutions to maintain bigger and larger uh, customer set. Uh, but uh, from Like my background, I probably coding and programming and doing the things with uh, mm-hmm. with the PCs uh, as long as I remember myself. Probably I started to code I think in 12, but officially in business for the last also 10 to 12 years. Most of the time I was spending uh, in a role with some kind of a technical leaders or architects. And uh, I was involved in a lot of different domains, like mainly right now I'm in fintech or uh, security. Also right now we're starting to be more involved in the medical domain. But I also was uh, part of uh, media, uh, developing solutions for the media domain. And especially interesting one was a gaming one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gaming is a really thing by itself. Um, In terms of like what I do, like in in terms of like for real, well, I'm backend developer and a front-end developer and do a little bit of mobile development and helping with uh, DevOps and cloud infrastructures. Yeah, so pretty skilled guy. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's uh, fancy. Everybody yeah, can do that. Yeah. <laughs> we know you are one of the best here at Uplifting. Oh my uh, God, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's topic is technical debt. Uh, we chose this topic because it really, inv- I think it's touches everyone from, from startup to corporations. So can you maybe describe to our listener, listeners what actually is technical debt so they understand it? Uh, well, I don't know where to start. So if you will take a, some kind of a, like a formal definition of what is technical debt, debt is usually defined as like implied cost of additional rework. Well, again, I think formal definitions doesn't really uh, uh, describe the whole complexity of this term. Uh, so de- technical debt is mm, the same thing as another debt, like a money debt or financial debt. We quite often uh, go into the debt of renting money uh, from the banks, or from other sources uh, to obtain some things or to reinvest them in our businesses. It's especially true for the businesses who, for example, can rent money, go into debt in order to build a new warehouse and hence improve the um, Uh, or scale up uh, their production and hence gain more money and then pay out the debt. Or even government actually do that. When we build in a new highway, government actually rents money or issues obligations and uh, then pay them back off, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the same thing uh, works with uh, technical debt. It's actually we renting some effort, but like we're not renting money directly. The end time is also money, but we renting effort. Uh, we cutting corners or uh, uh, sometimes unknowingly, like without conscious decision, uh, to deliver something faster. Especially mm-hmm. that happens on, up, under the pressure of time or under the pressure of the uh, need to release faster in the, uh, to the public. And then trying to, well, pay this debt uh, later. But the same thing as works with the financial debt, when you pay in it, you usually have to pay it with some percentages. Yeah. So the cost of additional rework is usually higher than you will do it good right away. So it it's like something like compromise because you are exchanging something that you want to make made fast for for the quality of the work, for example. That you want the product to be quickly on the market, so you need to do something different than quality. Yeah, if the if the technological team is senior and skilled enough to at least the leadership, this is always tends to be a conscious decision that yes, we need to deliver something faster and be fine with this technical debt, but we're gonna get back to it tomorrow. But quite often technical debt is uh, results of other factors, like uh, especially like bad analysis. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't know any better how to do the things. Uh, we didn't have had enough skills to maybe solve this problem in a better way. And then we learn that there is some kind of a better way and uh, and realize that there is a technical debt, uh, especially all like, for example, not testing your solution can also lead to the technical debt. You know, mm-hmm. like there is mentalities that you could meet on the market testing is for losers. We write <laughs> code right away, everything is ideal, or our uh, uh, our customers is our testers, we have a lot of them, <laughs> they're gonna report the problem. Uh, or actually just a really time pressure, when you mm-hmm. put in too much pressure on a development team, they will start cutting corners and trying to, to in, in an uh, attempt to deliver more of the requirements. Mm-hmm. So there are many ways how you can get yourself into technical debt. Yeah, there is quite a lot of ways, but I think they are kind of can be divided in um, two categories. Like uh, usually it's categorized, I think it was, I'm, I'm not remembering who exactly it in this way, but there is called like rec- reckless and prudent. So reckless is actually when like, yeah, we don't need the testing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't need an architecture. Yeah, whatever. And, and there is actually even worse, the reckless type of debt is like, purposely doing stiff stuff in a bad way because I'm too lazy or I just don't know. Hopefully that's not a lot on the market. But then there is like a prudent, it's actually a conscious decision uh, of doing of going into the debt. That's I think the best kind of debt because like, hey, we really need to release this application right now. Let's cut corners right now. We're gonna gain money later and fix it. Or actually realizing, hey guys, we just that time when we were starting development, we didn't do have enough technological skills. So we didn't have enough information we made a wrong decision but now we know how to fix it so let's do that mm-hmm. is it available to get to the technical depth like maybe probably this prudent way is is better than than the reckless one but you usually when you're creating something you need to make compromises like regarding time regarding money so it's it seems like it's inevitable that you will get yourself in technical depth eventually well that's an interesting question because uh, yes, any project will have technical de- technical debt. Just sim- simply by matter that we are humans and, and we make mistakes. Uh, we're not ideal. We 
that didn't yet invent an AI who can write a perfect code every single time. Plus, mm-hmm. yes, we always under pressure of uh, some circumstances and we need to make some decisions. And well, yes, uh, not all developers are uh, great developers. So <laughs> don't be, be a great developer. Be a great developer. Yeah, be a great developer. Uh, but there is actually a kind of misconception that I was even thinking in the same way is that uh, there is the technical depth is a result of choose between cost and quality and speed. Mm-hmm. It is to a certain degree, but the funny part is is that uh, good architecture or good solution is quite like the the goal of good architecture is to actually make your solution cheap. Uh-huh. Because uh, architecture is uh, is like by definition is trying to optimize your problem in such a way so it's easy to solve. Meaning easier, meaning like faster and more efficiently, and again making it cheaper. Uh, but sometimes what happens is that for implementing a good architecture, you need high initial investment. Mm-hmm. You need like to have uh, more investment, and sometimes you don't even need, need the investments. Need no time to do that. Uh, in future iterations, you will have, but right now you're under the pressure. So that's an interesting concept. That yes and no, because good architecture will make your product cheaper. Yeah, actually, yeah. in a long run, in a long run, but sometimes you don't have a long run. <laughs> you need yeah, to do yeah, things yeah, yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same like if you, you choose to buy a bad car, old one, and just run it, or you buy a new new Mercedes and it works for a longer time and it's better in the long way. Kinda, kinda depends where you need to get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the ideal ideal scenario is to spend more time on architecture at the beginning. Well, uh, again, uh, it's always a good idea to spend time on architecture, and it's always good time, good thing to make a conscious decision about uh, going or not going into technological depth. So, for example, a classical way uh, actually is to yeah, like okay, guys, okay, we will screw up architecture right now, and we're gonna be more, more closer, moving to the faster, moving to the production. But let's set a vision what we want our product be like what would be the ideal case and just try not to close the doors mm-hmm. for the better solution uh, so like minimize the amount of free work you will have to do at later stages uh, and that's why actually i personally consider it to be the startup architecture is one of the most complex because even though it usually tends to be simple applications but you need to account for the fact that a you can fail Yeah, and then you don't have to redo anything. You just like stop existing, and then actually you will scale, and you will usually start up on the scaling, the scaling really fast, and you need to know at least have in your back of your mind how allowed to that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of risk in in that probably, in in, in the scale up situation. E, this I don't think it's a lot of risk. I would actually argue that for the startup it is better just maybe even forget it for a while. I don't know. I know any startup who failed because of the bad architecture, mm-hmm. but I do know a lot of startups who failed because the idea sucked, although the product was not fit to the market. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and if let's say everyone gets sometimes to technical depth, uh, is it dangerous, or are there any specific stages uh, where where it can be really dangerous for the product? Mm, I think the most. Like the older is solu- is the solution, the more it prone to the technical depth. Like simply by the matter of time. Now, like I usually call it like a, a fancy word, like a, the law of software entropy. <laughs> fancy. What? Fancy. The law of software entropy. Okay. Well, in in physics, there is a term called entropy, and entropy is a measurement of how system is disordered. 
So, for example, when there is low entropy, the system is highly ordered, like, for example, the sun, it's highly mm -hmm. ordered structure. Uh, when there is high entropy, it means like everything is just like spread around like a, just like a cosmos. And the same apply, and, and usually like when you, by the law of physics, when you want to lower the entropy, you need to invest energy into it. So if you want to build a sun, you need yeah. tons of energy. And then the same goes with the software. If you want to make your software going from the ch uh, uh, chaotic state to the more organized, you constantly need to invest energy into it. Otherwise, it will just, with the flow of time, uh, it will get more and more, well, unmaintainable. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. And who is to blame for the? Is there anyone to blame for the technical debt, or if if, or is it like can can someone come to the team and yeah, our app sh is shitty because <laughs> you you did the bad architecture in a way, but or you have to some kind of think in the long run that yeah, this is going to eventually happen. Don't blame anyone and just fix it. To be honest, I, I consider like if the technological if the technical debt gets out of hand, uh, I usually blame it actually to the cultural and communicational reasons. Because mm -hmm. I, I think every developer, every good developer, and most of us at the end of the day want to have a good solution. You know, like they want to create a good products, great codes. That's what we do, just like what we enjoy doing. Every product guy wants to create a really good product and find the product market fit. We want to do good things. But but the problem actually sometimes either in culture or in com mainly in communication, like how I see things in the product or business guy can quite often they are well capable of obliating business impact of certain things happening or not mm -hmm. happening, but they don't see too much into the detail of uh, technological things. On the contrary, development guys can perfectly see everything what's happening in a development, but they're not always able to nail what the business impact is going to have in the long run. And like you like to fix it, you need really to empower or support the healthy communication between product and development team, especially on a trust level. Because even sometimes we are developers, hey, this architecture must be perfect. We need to do everything good. Well, yes, but uh, are we going to waste like 25 millions on that, uh, on creating a Netflix great architecture while we... Uh, building just a, a shopping mall, you know. <laughs> and we don't have any customers. <laughs> and we don't have any customers. Yeah, like that's the developers to blame, yeah. And products usually like, yeah, yeah, guys, like do whatever, do whatever. Like, you know, we just released this feature. I don't care about architecture. And then like in a half a year, it's like, why does checkbox takes two months to implement? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the problem is usually like a cultural and a communicational one. Like we need, I think development need to really good at informing business about like how, what, what the different options, how to solve this problem and what is the impact on a business and a timeline and uh, product should trust uh, and know, uh, trust the guys on their decision like and support this decision like with the business mm -hmm. facts, what is important right now for the company. Mm -hmm. You just answered my next question. Like <laughs> uh, what's the difference between perception of developer and management or sales <laughs> team? But uh, on my next question is like, um, how can it affect customers or how can you, are there any risks that technical debt or this bad communication can affect customers and what it can do, it can do a lot of harm, right? In the end. So you need to be pretty well, cautious. That's an interesting question. Uh, because again, if you think about it, customer don't see architecture. Customer mm -hmm. doesn't see code. Uh, customer actually don't cares about that. The only thing customers see is like UI, Maybe he can feel data protection, maybe speed of solution. 
but he uh, implicitly he doesn't see uh, like the good solution a great architecture but actually the good solution a great architecture is the one that allows more faster and more optimal delivery uh, for the given amount of people how user consequently can see that is that the features are delivered to him more faster and in larger and a bigger quality mm-hmm. it's like more implications uh, but uh, the absence of a good uh, of like a presence of large amount of technical debt will not kill you immediately it's more like a death by thousand cuts mm-hmm. it's going to be slowly and slowly and slowly stagnated and you will reach the point when your concurrence going to be faster and more agile than you yeah. and hence going to be um, uh, blowing up your business or you're going to be out of business in a worst case scenario but it's not something you can see immediately mm-hmm. so how can you manage that in in the long term how can you p- get prepared for it or is there a time or a period when you where you have to decide yeah i'm going to re- we're going to re- rework everything we have now and start from scratch again well i i think for none of the business it's possible to just stop and rework mm-hmm. your business have to supposed to continue and and, and then the problem of that is that like uh, quite often we face in the situation when the architecture is not sufficient anymore but you cannot stop the business otherwise you will not have money to evolve yeah. <laughs> you know it's just contradictory um on, a, on other hand i think quite often i see a pattern that like hey just let's assign like number percent of random percentage of sprint or time to solve the technical debt like 20% to 10%. But the problem is uh this percentage should uh, reflect the debt you have. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot like rent uh, rent the money in a bank and just pay whatever amount of percentage <laughs> you decided <laughs> to pay to the bank. <laughs> Probably something bad going to happen to you. Yeah. But I think there is two major things. Uh, one is like since a cultural just strive for better solution, have a great communication make a conscious decisions about technological debt but most most importantly monitor it if you make a decision to go into technological debt or you know something is wrong log it prioritize it and, and then put it in your backlog put it in your sprint and review it every time you go into the another one uh so you can see what is on the table and what you need to concentrate on and definitely consult the prioritization and impact with the business guys they're mm-hmm. going actually reply to you like how important it is right now Or on the other hand, uh, for the product guys, listen to the developers if they tell like, hey, this is kind of urgent. Otherwise, like in half a year, we're going to be screwed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there any difference in when you talk about technical debt with startups or when you talk to corporations? Are they, they, they have any different approaches? Well, kind of because, well, startup for startups, I will recommend don't care about that at all. Yeah. Like, Maybe if you have time and resources, log it, monitor it, uh, set the vision for the for the greater solution. But guys, your goal is to make money. Until that, whatever perfect Netflix, great microservice architecture run on Kubernetes is just like waste of time. Um, on a contrary, technological debt is usually exactly the problem of larger companies and enterprises because they have a s- solution that r- runs for years, if not mm-hmm. tens of years. With multiple developers, there's lost lost of documentation, lost of know-how, and it's uh, really hard to navigate that why systems uh, have a tendency to slow down its delivery. Uh, but solution is the same: log it, prioritize it, monitor it, make a conscious decision, uh, consult, uh, have a great communication between dev and prod guys or business guys to set up a priorities when and how it should be executed. Mm-hmm. 
Have you ever encountered the problem that the the know-how was uh, somehow in the head of one developer? And that's that's kind of common problem. <laughs> <laughs> What do you do then? Well, you beat him with the sticks. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, uh, again, this is more cultural slash communicational uh, issue. If this developer definitely don't want to tell anyone to anyone uh, to anyone around, well, it's probably better just to replace him with another one <laughs> because <laughs> the more he will be there, the more he will be knowing more and not allowing yeah. anyone else to learn. But that's is a real uh, rare cases. Like in most cases, just ensure a good uh, um, flow of know-how between your developers. So, don't. Uh, force your developers to work only one exact thing and not change uh, the parts of a system they are working on. Mm-hmm. And uh, have code reviews. Like code reviews, for example, I think it's already a common practice, literally, and it really improves like flow of know-how between uh, between the team members. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, do you have any final recommendation for anyone who is now, for example, in the middle of technical debt crisis and is like <laughs> uh, really, really unhappy crying in the corner and <laughs> just like doesn't know what to do because something is f- failing and yeah and everyone is screaming at him what is going on <laughs> well relax <laughs> first because like technical debt is unavoidable it's gonna be there one way or another and like technical debt is not explicitly bad thing like if you're doing it consciously and you know like even If you're good at finance and you make a good debt and then you spend this money wisely and gain more investment by this, then you are just a good businessman or good with finance. But what is bad is, is uncontrollable technical debt, that we don't know how much we have it. We don't we don't have even information like where it ha- can happen. Like the blindness is what I would be worrying about. Uh, and again, concentrate more about your culture and communication in your team. Create a really open uh discussion between all levels of your uh project development especially between the uh, business product guys and uh, and developers like yeah, quite often thought a pattern that they don't understand each other like they have a bit of a different needs but in the end only working together they will most uh, benefit to overall quality of a system mm-hmm. thank you very much nikolai for being here and giving us all your know-how Thanks, thanks a lot for inviting. <laughs> I hope everyone uh, got a lot of new information. And in case you want to know more, feel free to contact Nikolai. There is, uh, I think there's your even phone number on our website, uplifting.io. Yeah, sure. Feel free to, co- to call me. <laughs> go for a coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Innovation Spotlight podcast. Should you have any questions or topics you would like to know more about, head over to our website uplifting.io and don't forget to follow us on social media.